0: Okay, good morning, church. Um, Talking about Christmas decorations and ornaments, it reminds me um, back in the day um, at my church in East London. um, I had a friend called Gary, and he used to take, you know, like the Christmas balls that you'd put on on the tree? He would actually come to church on Christmas morning actually wearing them. He didn't (laughs) pierce his ears, but he, he was a hoot, so... That's my memories. Um, But yeah, Peace in the Valley. As soon as Dave said to me, asked me if I would preach on peace, uh, this song came back to me from the 90s. Um, And yeah, when I used to go clubbing with my mates, no alcohol involved, just dancing, you know? But, um, and I still enjoy the tunes, but uh, the body's kind of perhaps not as uh, limber as it was, so but uh, you can boogie in your seats. <laughs> anyway, um, okay, so before we start, no, no European or British people must say this. What is this? Anybody tell me. Put your hand up. A it's a cracker. Right. Do you know what the cracker does? How it, What does it do? What's it for? Right, right, yeah. So, yeah, so we'd all sit around the table, Christmas lunch, and uh, we'd have the plates and the cutlery and what have you, but everybody would have a cracker. And the idea was, and Pastor Dave's going to help me, because you need to. Um, you would pull the cracker. Right. Okay? Okay, so you get a little thing. And in one half of the cracker, there is... A Little thing inside, well, there should be. It's all right, so No, you can let go. Oh, can you can let go. <laughs> 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 hey,
1: that's the first time I've pulled, I've been called a cracker, but, uh, but I've been. That's uh, the first
0: time. <laughs> So, what's inside the cracker? Uh, Sorry. What's inside the cracker? Yes, there is a joke which you can read. <laughs>
1: oh, no. Why does Santa go down the chimney on Christmas Eve? Thank you. Because it soots him. (laughs) the chimney... (laughs) Yeah.
0: I mean, the jokes are not very good, but... Well, you know, I'll share the glory. (laughs) Um, And then you get a little gift as well. So... This is like a little key and a lock thing. I mean, you can get all sorts of things. Um, But then... Oh. Surely not. But the best thing is the hat. Yep, I'm going to preach in it. Okay. I'm having fun. I hope you are. (laughs) Okay, let's have a word of prayer. Dear Lord, we thank you for today. Lord, in fact, we thank you for this whole season, Lord, and we pray that that the real meaning of Christmas will become real to each one of us. Lord, Jesus is not just for Christmas. He's 24-7. He's 365 per year. Lo, I'm with you always. So Lord, take my stumbling, fumbling words, Lord, that I believe you've laid on my heart and help me to unwrap something about your peace. <laughs> your peace is kind of incredible and I can't do it justice, but Lord, I just pray that you'll just speak through me, Lord, that, um, that your peace will speak and touch people's lives, not because of me, but because of you and who you are. Amen. Okay, so um, so living the Advent wreath, peace. So my scripture, when I turned to it this morning, um, is this is where peace is mentioned. In fact, this is the only place I think that peace is mentioned in the whole Advent story, And it's found in Luke 2, 14 and 15. Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth. Peace to those on whom his favour rests. Um, And then when the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. Now, verse 14 has been you know, can be translated several ways. I guess most of us, particularly the older folks, are more familiar with um, peace on earth, goodwill to all men. Um, but it can be to whom, with whom God is pleased or to on whom his favour rests. But the key thing is that um, whether it's with whom God is pleased and on whom his favour rests... One thing we need to realise, the goodwill, the peace of Jesus, peace on earth, is not about works. We don't earn it. It's a gift. The other thing we have to realise, it says his favour rests, but it doesn't mean God has favourites. And the other thing we need to realise, he doesn't have a naughty or nice list. He's not Santa Claus. He's Jesus Christ, the saviour of the world. Remember John 3, 16. God so loved the world that he gave his son. Not just the ones he liked, not just his favourites, not the ones who worked the hardest, who grinded the hardest. He loved the world and he gave his only son. It cost him. So then I began to look into what, what does peace on earth mean? We throw it around. It's written on the hallmark cards. It's everywhere. Peace and goodwill. What does it actually mean? It can be so familiar that we don't even think about it. We kind of know what we want it to mean. Because let's face it. There's a lot of places where there is no peace. So... Where is the peace from? Who is the peace to? What is the context? And this peace on earth, did it happen? Does it happen? Will it happen? You know, when Jesus came, the Jews' expectation of a Messiah that they'd been waiting for was that he was going to set up an earthly kingdom He was going to overthrow the Romans and set up his kingdom and everything. That's what I believe most of the Jews expected. That's what they anticipated. They didn't anticipate a baby being born in a manger. And instead of an earthly kingdom, he spoke of the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven. So (laughs) their anticipation and their expectation was completely different to what God had provided but you know Jesus did bring peace he brought peace to the man who was full of demons he also brought peace through healing of the sick and the resurrection of the dead such as Jairus's daughter, Lazarus. But I think we need to realise that peace on earth, it's kind of multi-layered. In fact, you could almost say it's like a present. In other words, you can kind of pull away the top sheets and then there's other layers. So peace on earth, I believe, yes, It's a fulfilment of prophecy. It's a proclamation that was given to the shepherds. But it also contains the provision to those who believe. And it's a promise of things to come. One thing that's happened to me that helps me, and I may have mentioned this previously, but is when we're looking at prophecy... Um, what helps me understand prophecy is that it's almost like, if you can imagine, a picture with mountains in it, a mountain scene. And what you have is you have some mountains in the foreground, you have some mountains maybe in the middle ground, and you have some way over in the background, And to me, that kind of helps me because there's the foreground, which is the current and immediate context. But then there's the middle ground, which is the soon to come, not quite here yet. And then there's the yet to come. So what we're going to do is kind of unpack this idea and hopefully take a kind of prophetic pathway through some scriptures. So our first scripture we're going to go to is the prophecy in Isaiah, where Jesus' coming was prophesied. So we have Isaiah 9, 6. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. That's a prophetic title. Isaiah was around 700 years before Christ was born. And the angels announced the shepherds of all people. I mean, they were down there with the tax collectors. Nobody really wanted to associate with shepherds. But who got the message about peace on earth? The shepherds. And then, if we jump to Isaiah 53.5, very familiar passage. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And the punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds we are healed. So we've seen the title, Prince of Peace, being proclaimed 700 years in advance. Now we see the purpose. And part of that purpose was that the punishment that brought us peace was on him. That's Jesus. So, so that was the prophecy back in 700 years before Christ was born. And if you recall, there was a whole period of 400 years between Malachi and Matthew or the Gospels where nothing is recorded and then suddenly this heavenly host appear to some shepherds on a hill that's what god does he does the unexpected we try and put him in a box but he jumps out every time whoops and i'm losing my crown <laughs> <laughs> occupational hazard but you see what jesus accomplished through taking our punishment It achieved for us certain things. So if we move on to Romans 5 and verse 1 and 2, it says, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we've gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand and we boast in the hope of the glory of God. So, back in Isaiah, it was prophesying what was to come. Now, in Romans, Paul is writing and saying, because of what Jesus came, because of what he fulfilled, we have been justified through faith. We have peace and we've gained access by faith into the grace. That's what he accomplished. And in Ephesians 2, and this is a kind of a long passage, but I'll break this down. Therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands, remember at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope, without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Verse 14. For he, Jesus himself, their hostility he came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near wow (laughs) what that's basically talking about is the division between the jews and the gentiles and the fact that there was a distinction i mean it wasn't just a national distinction Everything, culturally, it was distinct. But through his death on the cross, if you recall, when he was on the cross, the curtain was torn from top to bottom. If it had been man, it would be bottom to top. God brought down the curtain. And then we read how the early church was birthed, initially with the Jews in Jerusalem, but then it went out and spread out to the Gentiles. And then if we go to the next verse, which is Colossians 1 and verse 20. And again, it speaks, And through him, that's Jesus, to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. You know, sometimes I don't think we really... Maybe we've lost some some of the sense of the awe of the cross and what it achieved and what it means. But these verses, they so powerfully bring it back and bring it back into focus. Okay, so that's the peace that Jesus has given us. So what about in the soon to come? For this, I'd like us to turn to Isaiah chapter 2 and verse 5. And watch what the words say, because we know that the words are inspired, but the punctuation isn't, okay? And we need to remember that when we read scripture. So it starts off verse 2, and it says, In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as the highest of the mountains. It will be exalted above the hills, and all nations will stream to it. Okay, in the last days. You know, I've mentioned it before, detail is important. There's nothing in the word of God that isn't there for a reason. There are clues there. In the last days. When's the last days? The last days started from the time of Jesus' death and resurrection and continues through what we call the church age until the last days. We are living in the last days. We've been in the last days since the beginning of of the early church but in the last days the mountain of the Lord's temple that covers a period of so far 2,000 years so has the temple been established not yet it's there have all nations streamed to it not yet so then we move on And then it reads many peoples will come and say come let us go up to the mountain of the Lord to the temple of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways so that we may walk in his path. The law will go out from Zion. The word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He will judge between the nations and will settle disputes for many peoples. Has that happened? Not yet. It's to come. They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. Come descendants of Jacob, let us walk in the light of the Lord. Now, some people may read this and think, oh, this is talking about heaven. There's going to be no war and so on and so forth. But I actually believe this is talking about when Jesus is in Jerusalem, he comes back to earth, what we call the second coming, and he sets up his kingdom in Jerusalem. Jerusalem will be the centre of the world. And that's when he will judge the nations. That's when the swords will be beaten into plowshares. In other words, things that are weapons of conflict will be built into farming uh, utensils nation will not take up sword, because Jesus will be king on the earth. Okay. And then Isaiah, Isaiah 9, 7. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. He will reign on David's throne. It's an interesting um, situation because um, David's throne, Jesus has never sat on David's throne. That hasn't happened. It will happen. And it says he will establish his kingdom. So all the things mentioned in Isaiah, which is 700 years before Christ, he's, it's incredible the way the prophecies kind of stack up. And it says the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. There are those who believe that we can set up the kingdom for Jesus. No, the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. He's already declared it, decreed it. And then, if we move on, In Micah, oh, oops, okay, no, you can go back, actually, I'm jumping ahead of myself. It says, see, Isaiah 65, see, I will create a new heavens and a new earth. The former things will not be remembered, nor will they come to mind. Okay, now that's talking about a new heaven, new earth. But as you carry on reading, let's carry on reading. Verse 18, but be glad and rejoice forever in what I will will create, for I will create Jerusalem to be a delight and its people a joy. I will rejoice over Jerusalem and take delight in my people. The sound of weeping and of crying will be heard in it no more. Verse 20, interesting verse. Never again will there be in it an infant who lives But a few days, or an old man who does not live out his years, the one who dies at a hundred will be thought of, thought a mere child. The one who fails to reach a hundred will be considered accursed. They will build houses and dwell in them. They will plant vineyards and eat their fruit. No longer will they build houses and others live in them, Or plant and others eat. For as the days of a tree, so will be the days of my people. My chosen ones will long enjoy the work of their hands. They will not labour in vain, nor will they bear children doomed to misfortune. They will be a people blessed by the Lord and their descendants with them. Before they call, I will answer. While they are speaking, I will hear. The wolf and the lamb will feed together. And the lion will eat straw like the ox, and dust will be the serpent's food. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain, says the Lord. At the beginning of this scripture, it talks about a new heaven and a new earth. Okay? But as we read down, it talks of people living for a hundred years and not dying. Well, we know there's no death in heaven. So again, this points me... To look again to that 1,000-year reign, the millennial reign of Christ. Because there is no death in heaven. But it says, never will there be an infant who lives but a few days. In fact, somebody who lives to 100 will be thought of as a child. And then we go to Micah, the prophet Micah. Again, that phrase, in the last days, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as the highest mountains. It will be exalted above the hills and peoples will stream to it. Many nations will come and say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the temple of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his way so that we may walk in his paths. The law will go out from Zion, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He will judge between many peoples and will settle disputes for strong nations far and wide. They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears, into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. Everyone will sit under their own vine and under their own fig tree, and no one will make them afraid, for the Lord Almighty has spoken. Does that sound familiar? What did we read in Isaiah 2.5? Same thing. Isaiah was around 700 years, 760 years before Christ was born. Micah said this, was revealed to him by God, 50 years later. But look at the consistency. God is, he's unexpected, but he's consistent. He says exactly the same thing. And again, it uses the words in the last days, but look at the detail, particularly in Isaiah 65, where it says about nation, um, nation, there'll be no more. They'll not labor in vain. they'll build houses. There'll be peace. there will be peace." Okay, and then we move on to Zechariah. Verses 9 and 10. Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Okay, that's not the Advent story. That's Easter. That's Palm Sunday. Okay. But then we move on to verse 10. I will take away the chariots from Ephraim, the war horses from Jerusalem, and the battle bow will be broken. He will proclaim peace to the nations. His rule will extend from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. So in those two verses, two different timescales. One is talking about Palm Sunday. Verse 10 He's talking about chariots of Ephraim and Jerusalem, references to Israel, but it says the battle bow will be broken. He will proclaim peace to the nations. That hasn't happened yet, but it will when he establishes his kingdom and his millennial reign, and his rule will extend from sea to sea. Now, many scholars believe that the sea to sea is actually from the Mediterranean Sea over far across to the Arabian Sea, Whereas if you think of Israel now, it's just a strip of land. But this says his rule will extend from sea to sea and from river to the ends of the earth. Okay. So what legacy, I'm going to call this a legacy of peace, did Jesus give us? For that, we turn to John 14. The context for this was just before the night of his, um, when he held the Last Supper, and he spoke to his disciples. You can read the discourse through John 14 through to 17. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Do not be afraid. Similarly, later on in the same discourse, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace in this world you will have trouble but take heart i have overcome the world so now we move to the the final part what is our commission to peace so for this we turn to romans 12 16 to 21, Paul wrote to the Romans, live in harmony with one another. Don't be proud. Be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. I mean, we're giving some flexibility there, you know? There's some people who you just... They're just explosive. They're just corroded, you know? So it says, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room... For God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, and this is tough, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Then in Romans 14, a couple of chapters on. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking. Jesus, uh, Paul talked about this because there was all sorts, oh, should I eat this, should I eat that, and what have you. Not a matter of eating and drinking. Don't judge people because of what they eat and drink. The kingdom of God is about righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Because anyone who serves Christ in this way is pleasing to God and receives human approval. Let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. So don't fight over that last potato on the plate. You know? Let's get real. Um, And then... Okay. Okay. 2 Thessalonians three sixteen, and with this I'll close. This is my prayer to you. Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times and in every way. The Lord be with all of you. Amen.
1: Amen. Let's all stand. How many appreciate the peace of God that passes all understanding? Isn't it mind blowing that twenty seven hundred years ago your peace was being prophesied about, starting twenty seven hundred years ago, and now as as David preached, we got a legacy of preach of a peace that we get to we get to uh, just contribute to every day. I pray that the Holy Spirit leads us in being peacemakers. That's what Jesus said. Blessed are the peacemakers. That's not easy. It calls us to swallow some pride. It calls us to get low. (laughs) And with some folks, how can you get lower than a snake, right? (laughs) And yet, uh, David read some powerful, powerful scriptures. Isn't it crazy how the word of God is the best preacher around? Amen? And, uh, so, David, thank you. You blessed me today. You fed me today. Thank you so much. Amen. We're going to sing one more song and worship together as a family before we're dismissed. If you need prayer for anything, uh, I'll, I'll hang out over in the corner, uh, but you don't have to come have me pray for you. You can grab your partner. if, if you're, You guys are filled with the same Holy Spirit I'm filled with, so uh, you can grab a partner to say, hey, pray with me about this. Stand and believe with me about this. Let's all pray together before we uh, sing one more time as a family. Lord, we love you. We thank you for the peace that passes understanding. Matter of fact, that was the gift that you left. You said, Peace I leave with you. You could have left anything with us, but you said, Peace I live with you. I leave with you my peace, not just any peace, but the peace that you walked around with, that you ministered with, the peace that you held on to as you even face the cross that peace you have given to us and father we claim it today it's a third of the kingdom of God as David read righteousness peace and joy Lord we want to hold that peace help us not to throw that peace away for everything that's taking place on this planet but to maintain it even when we should be freaking out Let us have peace because it does pass understanding. Lord, we praise you for it. We thank you. Bless us all today. And we just take some time to bless your name one more time as a family. We praise you. In Jesus' name, everyone say amen.